the number one fear of Americans is speaking in front of a group. And number mm -hmm. seven is fear of dying. So as Jerry Seinfeld says, the average American would rather be in the box at the funeral than giving the eulogy. <laughs>
French, Spanish, and psychology. Oh, wow. No, not only different levels, but wow, different subjects as well. Okay. And we'll definitely get to what you taught, how you taught it, and where you taught <laughs> a little later. Uh, so you were obviously interested in learning. That's obvious. You became an educator. Uh, but uh, what were your hobbies growing up? Well, let's see. Um, I love to swim. So I guess my biggest hobby was probably reading. And at the age of 10, I learned how to play bridge, which has become a passion of mine. And I still do. It saved me during COVID. Um, but I did most of the things that uh, young people do in, in those days. Okay. All right. Well, in being the grandson of a bridge player, I totally understand uh, how that is. And uh, it saved my uh, grandmother's life before and during COVID. Oh, so, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I would marvel at how she would just simply play that game <clears throat> and be so uh, be so masterful at it. Oh, and uh, yes, it's it's addictive. Mm -hmm. I, I was playing one day online and met a woman from France. We, be, we chatted and became friends. And when I went to France last summer, I met her. She came to Paris and we, we met and had dinner together. Oh, man. And that was all from playing Bridge Online. Wow. Now, fortunately, we're playing in person again. So that's great. Oh, that's good. Awesome. Mm -hmm. You making fast friends does not surprise me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So did you actually see yourself as an educator uh, when you were young or did you see yourself going somewhere else in terms of occupation everyone in my pretty much everyone in my family were teachers and i think about the age four i decided that i wanted to be a teacher when i was young we my favorite game was playing school i always knew i was going to be a teacher the only thing that changed was uh i majored in art in college but i fell in love with my french teacher and changed my major to french and then became a french teacher but i always knew i would teach hmm. All right. I won't put you on the spot and speak French because you'll probably be like, okay, she said something I don't know. See? Yeah, I'm, I'm impressed. As I said, <laughs> you spoke something. I have no idea what you said. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I also speak Spanish and I'm learning Italian. So. Oh my gosh. So yeah, we're dealing with a multilinguist yeah. educator. Okay. Yeah, that is good. That is good. Uh, would you consider yourself a good student in your formative years or did you consider yourself uh, one that had to learn how to become a better one as you went along? I was a good student, but I was a troublemaker. Um, I, well, not, not vicious or mean, but I was a talker in class. Imagine that. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and, no, uh, I can't imagine that at all. <laughs> it turned out well for me, but, uh. But I, I liked learning. I liked school. My, my parents were both uh, good learners and believed in education. And uh, so, yeah, I always loved school. Yeah, I figured that would be the case. All right. Okay. Although I had a lot of friends I taught with who were not good, teach who were not good students and uh, went on, I think, wanted to become the kinds of teachers that they wished they had had throughout school. So oh. I don't think it's always true that uh, a good good teacher was a good student previously. Yeah. Uh, that was, that's one of the questions I've always wanted to ask educators, any, any teacher that I knew 
It's like, okay, so how you were as a student? Because almost every time I would ask that question, they'd say, yeah, I don't think I had the appreciation of the of the, of the um, vocation until I became it. Right. <laughs> that's a lot more challenging than it looks at, at first glance. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I married into a I, I married into so many educators, educators from teachers on up to principals, and they would tell me horror stories. Mm-hmm. So I totally understand, fully totally understand how that is. So describe how your parents were in your childhood. Oh, wow. Um, well, my mother w- was a loving, extraordinary woman who who read to me, and she was the quintessential mother. She made fabulous holiday meals. She made all my clothes until I was in eighth grade. Um, she read to me every night. Uh, she was just a great, loving mom. My dad was a home builder and uh, something of a workaholic, um, very skillful in lots and lots of areas. So from him, uh, my brother and sister and I learned a tremendous work ethic. Um, and he was he had a great sense of humor. And they were married for just a month short of 61 years. with Sally Ogden on the other side there's a 100% chance of a laugh thunderstorm four men with different viewpoints take a movie show or documentary and review it uncensored unfiltered uncompromised with no holds barred join BS3 Wilkes King Doc and HRAP-B as they take on Hollywood their own way BS3 Network proudly presents The Forecast, where HRAP always predicts If I owe you something, I ain't got it. And if you need it, get it from God. Live every Monday at 8.30 p.m. Central. Check your local listings for your viewing and listening pleasure. Discouragement. Sorrow distance. Your arguments cause damage to your family. The hurt leads to divorce. You feel like there is nowhere else to turn. But there is hope for you. That's where we come into play. There is an overcomer that lives inside of you. One ready to take on the world as you leap for joy living in victory. You'll grow to love yourself and others. There's life after divorce, and you can claim it today. Get over divorce, where your new story begins here every Thursday on YouTube and Spreaker. Public speaker and career educator Sally Ogden joins me here on Revelation. She has opened the way quite beautifully. And now it is time for us to take across that walk on the bridge to prosperity. 
Now, here is where we link childhood lessons to adult application. So you said that you love learning and that you were a a good student, but a talkative one. <laughs> uh, you decided to further your education at Colorado State. Why choose that particular institution? Well, that was a pretty simple choice. Um, my high school boyfriend went to Adams State College and my dad did not want me following him there. Uh-huh. And uh, he thought it would be he had an, an idea of what were, where it would be best for me to go. So he told me, honey, you can go to school anywhere in the country where you get accepted. And I will be happy to pay your expenses and tuition at Colorado State University. So that's why I chose Colorado State. Hmm. <laughs> it was a simple choice. That sounds real simple. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, did you master in education? And if if not, what did you uh, originally master in? I studied, uh, I was originally um, um, an art major. And uh, then I changed my major to French. I had a fabulous French teacher named Armand Didier Cadol. And he, he was my mentor. He was the model for me and my teaching. He personalized our, the classroom. He really cared about us. And I just loved going to class every day with him. So I changed my major to French and that's how I decided to teach French. Ah, okay. He had a nickname for me. He called me Mademoiselle Sourire, which means Miss Smile. And I loved that. Oh. Well, I lost him. I didn't know where he was for many years. And then a couple years ago, I searched for him on Facebook and found him. And I wrote him and told him I was so grateful for his model and what he had taught me. And I signed my name, Sally Northway Ogden. And he responded to me, Cher Mademoiselle Sourire. After 40 years, he remembered my nickname. So that was that was really moving. Wow. I'm having a touch of class having a guest speak French. Uh, oh, my gosh. <laughs> okay, so you mentioned that you are a talkative sort. You <laughs> yes. jokingly said that you were. Yes. Uh, when did you feel as though you had the itch to stand up on stage and speak in front of people? Well, that's a little bit of a story. Um, Mm -hmm. When I started teaching, I was so passionate about getting kids to speak French. I wanted them to be able to read Sartre and um, use the subjunctive when they spoke. But I discovered quickly that kids at lunch would come back and put their heads on their desk and I'd go over and say, what's wrong? And they'd say, well, all my friends are being mean to me and I'm not invited to the party this weekend. And I'd say, well, let's conjugate some verbs. That'll help. <laughs> and that didn't seem to help. So what I discovered was they were being bullied and they didn't know what to do about it. Well, at that time, I had a wonderful mentor named Jim Fay, And he was the head of a company that's known across the nation, uh, Love and Logic. And I went to him and I said, Jim, well, how do I get to these kids that are being bullied? How do I help them? Well, he helped me learn a bunch of strategies to teach to kids on how to respond to bullies and how to think about uh, being bullied so that it didn't damage their self-concepts. Well, it grew and grew. 
And uh, pretty soon, word got out and schools were asking me to share what I'd been sharing with my students. And uh, then Love and Logic started to have summer conferences. I started to speak in those about the whole bullying thing, but also about classroom management techniques where uh, teachers um, honored students and didn't use punishment and shaming. And uh, then it just it just grew. And I've been now speaking to teachers and educators and parents for over 45 years. Wow. <laughs> Again, all spawned by French. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know how one step leads to another. Yeah, it, that's it, how it, it normally works. The largest journey begins with a single step. So, mm -hmm. yep, you're right. You're exactly right. All right. So when you were in college, what was the easiest and what was the hardest subject for you? Well, the easiest was French because I loved it. Mm -hmm. And the hardest was anything having to do with math or science. <laughs> anything to do with math. Because I didn't, it wasn't that I couldn't do them. I just didn't care about it. Right. It wasn't my passion. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Although the math would help me greatly with my bridge game today. <laughs> <laughs> right. But yeah, yeah, that would that would be me. Uh I loved writing, so English was fine. Uh, mm -hmm. uh having me do calculus, you can forget it. Not so much. <laughs> no, not so much at all. Not so, so much. <laughs> all right. So uh uh did you go to Colorado for your masters as well? No, I went to the University of Northern Colorado in Greeley, and I got my master's in curriculum and instruction. Okay. So that was a little more concentrated toward the education field. Okay. Right. All right. So well, what made you want to uh, uh, major in art? Well, my dad was a fabulous artist, and uh, every Christmas we would get sketch pads and pencils and paints for Christmas, and uh, we had um, a stimulating art environment in, in our home. And uh, then throughout school, I took art every year, and I was a pretty good little artist. I still paint and, and do pen and ink drawings. I still love art. Um, and I that was my passion when I entered college. But um, as I mentioned, one thing led to another, and um, I just fell in love with my French teacher. And I, I think that happens to a lot of people there's one mentor, one person who comes along in your life and it just changes your direction. And that's, that's what happened for me. But I always used my art in my French classroom or my Spanish classroom. Uh, I would draw pictures of vocabulary words and illustrate the vocabulary to hand out to kids. And so, you know, art never leaves you. It's, it's always a part of your life, I believe. Mm. Yeah. And I could see that, yeah, well, you still, or artistic, but you're doing it in a much different fashion. So, yeah, I could totally see how that does not leave you. Okay. It doesn't leave you. Right. Art and music. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Those those do not ever leave you. So, in undergrad and graduate school, how did you envision yourself as a teacher? Well, I've, I've always been a little arrogant. <laughs> so... <laughs> I envisioned that I would be the Colorado Teacher of the Year in no time. And I actually told someone I was going to be the Colorado Teacher of the Year my first year of teaching. And they looked at me like I had three heads. And uh, that was a really super crazy thing to say. But uh, actually, four years later, I was. <laughs> so that was, I, that was a 
some kind of uh, bizarre divine intervention. I don't know, but it also, I think why it happened was it helped me um, get my teaching career going. I mean, my speaking career, it helped launch my speaking career. Mm. Oh. I've had lots of challenges in my life, but the whole teaching arena was never difficult for me. It's, it's, it's something I've always known I wanted to do. And I think I thought I, I always thought I'd be good at it. And maybe uh, my passion for it and my passion for kids was the thing that made me good at it. Mm. Yeah. Well, you definitely have a passion for just, just the art of teaching. That's obvious. Ah, okay. Let's see if I'm trying to think of another question I want to ask you and I, and I had it on the tip of my tongue. Um, ah, yeah, I do want to ask this. So you said that you got in front of a classroom to teach for the first time at 21. Mm-hmm. So this would be, that almost sounds like you were still either an undergraduate student or you just graduated from Colorado State. Just graduated. All right. So how did you, how were you able to juggle going to school as a teacher and going to school to pick up your master's at the same time? Um, boy, I don't know. You just kind of do what you need to do. And I was also at that time running the, the district's French camp. Um, and that was also the same year that the Broncos went to the Super Bowl and I bought my house. <laughs> so that was a, and I, and I met my husband. So that was quite a busy year, but I think sometimes those years of great change are the most invigorating and the most meaningful. Mm-hmm. And somehow my mother always said, work fits the amount of time allotted it. So, mm-hmm. you know, you just get done what you have to do. Yeah. But uh, I took the, a lot of the graduate classes were, um, uh, during the summer and they had some extension classes here in Denver. So it was relatively easy to do. Mm. Okay. All right. mm. 1986. Uh, for, for my master's, uh, uh, uh yeah. So that's on, no, 1977, 1970. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. I yeah. forgot. The Broncos did go to the Super Bowl a decade before. You're thinking that's of right. another Broncos Super Bowl. Though. Yes. I was, th- uh, yeah. I, for some that reason. That was the I- first one that we lost yeah. to, Dallas to Dallas by some horrible yeah. score. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, that's right. I totally forgot. Craig Morton. Yeah, that was yeah. that wasn't good. Yeah, the year that the Orange Cross was born in '77. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, for some reason, I was for some reason I had myself fixated on uh, the drive. Yeah. I was like, okay, no, that's not it. I cried. <laughs> when I lost, but I've gotten more adult about it now. I only pout <laughs> for a couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> Sally Ogden. This is Revelations. Alicia. You can't hold somebody to that standard if you haven't voiced what you want and what you're needing from that. Mika. If you're not communicating expectations, you're waiting for your feelings to be hurt. Nicole. A lot of people don't want to take the time out to be alone and to get themselves together. Ivan. You got to be willing to work through stuff and from the jump street y'all done had problems, maybe you don't need to be working through those. BS3 Network proudly presents Queen 3 and King Podcast. Live 
every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Central. Are you looking for something to do on your lunch break? Well, there's a show on the BS3 Network that has only four words to say to you. speaker and career educator Sally Ogden joining me on Revelations. She has opened the way. She has walked across that bridge. She also has educated me that, yes, the Broncos went to Super Bowl first in 1977, not 1986, which is <laughs> correct. She is correct in that assumption, um, in, in that. Uh, and now it is time for us to get behind the purpose. Now, this is the reason why we function the way we do. So you get up, you uh, get prepared, and you drive to school and you walk inside the school. Explain how you felt walking into a classroom getting ready to teach for that day. Well, I always loved teaching, and so uh, I was always invigorated. Um, I, I loved the kids. I loved everything about it. So I know I had a lot of friends who complained about getting up at five in the morning, but I never had a problem with that because I was always eager, eager to get to school. I got a tremendous kick out of the kids and uh, I really got into their lives, their issues. I did a lot of counseling with them. Uh, but frankly, I just enjoyed the heck out of them and I couldn't wait to get there. I had a feeling. I had a feeling that was the case because when I researched what you were, I said, I think this is a question I have to ask her because mm -hmm. I just get the feeling she just enjoyed being a teacher. And I don't mean from the standpoint of uh, I just want to be domineering to people, that you just enjoy the art of trying to open somebody's mind and learning something that they didn't know beforehand. And that's exactly right. But also, I taught a subject that was really fun to teach. Uh, we could do skits. We sang. Oh, I, I played the piano. Um, we, you know, we just had a great time. And, uh, you know, kids, when you honor them and you 
listen to them and you let them be who they are, there there can be a lot of fun. Uh, but I think too, um, because of the skills I learned with Love and Logic, um, I was able to handle the classroom well, and so there weren't there weren't disruptions and problems that I couldn't handle. And I think that makes a huge difference. I think um, a lot of teachers struggle with that, and I think it's even more difficult today. But um, because I had a relaxed classroom where basically kids behaved, we all had just a lot of fun. It was just great. I loved every minute of it. Yeah. Yeah, I bet you did. And it sounds like you still enjoy it when you retell it. Yeah, uh, yeah I do. I do. Uh, I love thinking about it. We, uh, I love thinking about some of the stories. One day in class, somebody said something funny, and we all started to laugh. It was near the end of the day, and one of the girls in the class was a snorter when she laughed. Mm -hmm. And uh, she would laugh and snort, and, well, that would make the rest of us laugh. And I think the entire class laughed for like six minutes. And uh, I'll never forget that. It was just a, just a great time. Then the bell rang. <laughs> <laughs> That is awesome. That is great. That is absolutely great. Don't tell my principal that. We'd already done our work. We were all done. <laughs> okay. Your your secret is safe with me. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So which level of education did you enjoy teaching more? Did you enjoy teaching intermediate more? Or did you enjoy teaching high school more? Or did you enjoy even teaching college more? Um, you know, I loved teaching middle school when I started because I was young and healthy and enthusiastic. But uh, teaching middle school takes a tremendous amount of energy. Every minute has to be planned. Um, but uh, I, w I think I would tell you I loved high school the most. Um, but because the kids, they, they think for themselves, they're challenging, they're fun, they're interesting, they're uh, witty and delightful. Uh, and uh, and you, can, you can teach more, you can get farther. You know, in, in middle school, I only taught first and second year French, but in high school, we could we could really get to some advanced things, and that that was really fun. Uh, but and I love teaching adults, but I have to confess, I I loved the classroom more than teaching adults. Uh, the kids are just great; they're just fun. I could see that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I could see that. Yeah, and I can see the opposite: why people would say, "Yeah, it's a little easy to." I, I feel I feel more at ease teaching adults rather than children. I, I totally I can totally understand that. But yeah, it's it, it's easier. There there are fewer interruptions and fewer things you need to deal with, and you don't have to handle ep epipens and uh, all the interruptions and things. It, it's e it's easier for sure. Yeah. But uh, kids are entertaining. They're just fun. So when did your classroom and I put this in quotes? expand because yes you you taught in school but you also teach on the stage so when did your classroom turn from being in front of a class to being in front of a captive audience on stage well as i mentioned when i started going uh, figuring out how to help kids with bullying and how to help teachers with classroom management that's really when it started to expand. And I started to speak at these Love and Logic conferences. Um, and then from those conferences, there would be administrators in the audience. And they would say, you know, my teachers would benefit from this information that Sally has. And so they would invite me to go to their schools. And so I think during the next 40 years, I've been in 35 different states and two countries. Because uh, 
well, teachers and parents, then I, then I expanded to parents. They're all clamoring to know how to work with kids better. Um, how can I maintain my good relationship with my child while still setting boundaries? Um, how can I help them learn? Um, and, and teachers are wanting to know, you know, how do I handle a diversity of students and skills? And so um, one thing just led to another and uh, that whole speaking career just grew and grew. And I, and I love that too. It's really fun to make a difference there. And um, teachers are so grateful to be given skills. A lot of us in college did not get the skills we needed to handle the classroom and uh, specific things to say and do. And uh, that's, that's what I learned through Love and Logic. And that's what I started to teach everyone else. And they just gobbled it up just yeah. like I had. Yeah. Yeah. You, you sound entrepreneurial. It's like you saw a need and you filled it. That's what it sounds like to me. Right. Right. Well, the need was there. And then mm -hmm. the people just invited me because it filled the need. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was wise of you to do that. Okay. So normally when people do public speaking, they normally do it from the standpoint of they want to promote things like a book they're writing or a career as a talking head. But you actually wanted to still stay in the education realm. So why did you want to become a public speaker and still stay in the education lane? Well, you know, I, I, I can't, I don't know. I think that public speaking thing was kind of inborn because um, when I was five years old, I went to my dad's boss's house for Christmas and sang Away in a Manger in front of all the adults at five. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. I th And then I w when I was 12, I emceed the school Christmas program. And in high school, I emceed a lot of the pep rallies. So I think I just kind of had speaking in my bones. Um, and then um, I never, it never was a great drive for me monetarily. I just wanted to spread the word and I get, I got so much back from, from parents and, and educators that um, it just, it just kept me going. So later I wrote a book and I did peddle my book shamelessly at some of my presentations, mm -hmm. but my main goal always was just to help teachers and parents. Well, I figured that'd be the case. I mean, sometimes you simply can't just simply stand in front of uh, front of a stage and speak all of it. Sometimes you have to document it also. It makes sense that you wrote a book. Mm -hmm. totally you know, that on the book of lists, it mm -hmm. says that the number one fear of Americans is speaking in front of a group. And number mm -hmm. seven is fear of dying. So as Jerry Seinfeld says, the average American would rather be in the box at the funeral than giving the eulogy. <laughs> But that was never true for me. I yeah. always, I always love speaking. So yeah, that's great. That's great, and you seem to have a lot of good things to impart, which helps even more. Yeah, I think you you need to have something to say that people want to hear. Right. Right. Okay, so I guess I'll put you on the spot a little here. Who was the hardest to teach? Children, teachers, or parents, and why? Oh. Teachers and parents, for sure. <laughs> uh, teachers, probably teachers are the worst. Uh, because I taught, I've taught some college classes for graduate work for teachers. And the teachers would come in in the summer and say, now, we don't have to do any papers, do we? 
we and I have to miss three or four classes. Is that okay? And they would they would talk. They would forget their materials. They come in late. Do all the things that drove them crazy with their students in their own classrooms. So I would say teachers for sure. But then next would be parents because um, parents just and I I get this, but parents just don't want to recognize that there's anything wrong with their kids. So right. they want to blame the teachers, the administration, the society, whatever. So it's it's really hard to affect change with parents. Um, I think teachers are a little more open for change, but. So definitely teachers and parents, <laughs> definitely adults are harder to work with, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I could see that. I could totally see how that would be the case with you. You know, uh, a lot of uh, people say, oh, my gosh, how did you ever teach middle school students, teenagers? Well, I loved them. And uh, they are so little seventh graders were so enthusiastic. It was the first time they'd learned any French and they would hop up and do their skits and and speak French and oh, that was so thrilling. I, I just, I love that. But people say, well, how could you deal with those teenagers? And I'd say, well, the thing is when they come to school, they're on their best behavior. They throw their fits and tantrums at home with you. You know, so I didn't, I didn't see the bad side of those junior high and middle school kids. Well, most people would rather sit on a bed of scissors than teach middle school kids, but uh, I really uh, loved it. I'm sure that line endeared you to many parents. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. More with Sally Ogden in two and two. This is Revelations. For Steph Curry, Tim Anderson, Jordan Alvarez, and it's caught. Debo Samuel with the catch. Michael Jordan can sense the throw. Just got the king. BS3 Network, the hottest of hot takes, the coldest of cold hard facts. This is Snowman in the Morning with Gold Johnson. Weekdays at 8 a.m. Eastern. Check your local listings for your viewing and listening pleasure. What do you get when you watch or listen to the Life Happens podcast? Well, I'll let them tell you. Kim and I are both ministers of the gospel and Life Happens podcast is... A beautiful balance by simply taking our spirituality with real life and merging it together to create a beautiful balance. And that's what we do. BS3 Network proudly presents Life Happens Podcast, where Christianity and life intersect live every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Central. You want to watch these interviews commercial free? 
Well, now you can. Revelations is on Patreon. Become a patron today. Educator, public speaker, and woman of many other talents, a multilinguist even, Sally Ogden joins me on Revelations. She has opened the way, walked across that bridge. She has given us a reason as to who she is and why she is the way she is. And now it is time for us to bring all of that to light. Now, all of us shine in a unique way. And, of course, Sally, you are of no different with that statement. All right. What is No Thanks, I Just Had a Banana? And what prompted you to do the audiobook? Well, as I mentioned earlier, I was frustrated by kids not wanting to learn because they had so many issues around friendships that were failing, bullying, that kind of thing. So I... Um, developed a program in the classroom where I would teach kids about why bullies behave the way they do and how they can respond. And it was so well received. In fact, anyone I ever presented it to, any student would say, why didn't someone teach us this sooner? And then um, then Columbine happened, the tragedy at Columbine in 1999. Oh, and I had friends who said, you know, Sally, you've been presenting this stuff to kids for a long time you need to write a book and or make a video get this information out to more people because of course the columbine strat uh, tragedy um happened because of bullying of right. two perpetrators right and so i i really i'm not passionate about writing but i had a dear friend my friend judy who said if you'll just write it i'll help you edit it so i sat down and and wrote it and uh together we we got it done and got it published and I've now sold 30,000 copies. Um, nice. But uh, then I made the video, No Thanks, I Just Had a Banana. I've made a couple versions at yeah. speaking engagements because people said, well, my, my kid won't read a book, but he would watch a video. So yeah. we, we made the video. And the whole No Thanks, I Just Had a Banana is one of the favorite responses to when a bully uh, accosts you. If someone says you're ugly, you just say, No Thanks, I Just Had a Banana. And it's really hard to come back from that. It's a technique called out crazying the crazies. We found out that there's only room for one crazy person in the same place. If there's two, one of them has to go away. <laughs> so you just say, the Martians stole my dog. Or you bark. Or you, <laughs> or you sing a song. And uh, so I, I would teach this to my students. And they would go out and I'd say, now get out there and get bullied so you can try this. And they would say... Um, you know, no one will put us down now. And it's, it's funny that once you're armed and ready, you send out a different vibe. And so, um, so the, the one that the, my students liked the best was no thanks. I just had a banana. So we titled, uh, the video, no thanks. I just had a banana. My book is, uh, words will never hurt me. So, uh, and it's all full of strategies like out crazy, the crazies, 
Um, another one is just a, a negative assertion where you agree. When someone says, uh, wow, you, you look like you've gained some weight. And you just say, yeah, you know, I think I've put on quite a bit of weight. What are they going to say back? Or if they say, um, you look, this class is unfair. As a teacher, I heard that a lot. And you just say, I know, isn't it? Uh, but I'm trying to prepare you for the real world. And I know the real world is unfair. So thank you for letting me know that I'm on target. <laughs> and then you usually get a groan and an eye roll, but mm -hmm. they go away. And so um, I found that students and and adults loved these. And so it was time to get the get these tools out to people where they could use them. From No Thanks, I just had a banana, which I do love the title of that. <laughs> you also address classroom climate, and you do so uh, with, a, with a segment titled, Thank God It's Monday. So why do you feel disruptions and interruptions take place in the classroom? Wow, that's, that's a great question. Um, you know, what I discovered early on was that everybody, I think, in the world, timelessly and universally, everybody wants two things. They want to be, they want to be loved and they want to be successful. And so when you see children who are not acting in a way that's going to leave them as being loved or successful, you got to ask, well, what's going on? And so what I discovered was that normally under that behavior was the fear of being inadequate or being rejected. So a student, for example, who is not very good at French will misbehave, will try to get kicked out, will make excuses, that kind of thing. And underneath that usually is the fear that they can't do it, but they really would like to do it. I think everybody wants to be loved and successful. So um, one of the ways to help kids with that fear is to build great relationships with them. And so I started early on uh, figuring out how do I improve my relationship with this child so he doesn't give up? Because I believe if you stay with things, you'll eventually get it. So I started, well, I learned from my college French teacher and I started assigning nicknames to kids and they loved that. Oh. Uh, and I used eye contact, touch and smiles, shook hands with kids as they came in the classroom, looked them right in the eye, um, smiled at them. Uh, another way to retain great relationships is to eat together uh, play together, uh, do community service together, show interest in their lives. And I started to discover that all of these things really transformed the classroom and not only got rid of the discipline problems because kids don't like to cause problems for the people that they love, but also the achievement went up uh, that, that kids who feel valued, they want to try harder. They want to learn more. Mm -hmm. So that's where, thank God it's Monday because so many people... Kids would come into school and say, oh my gosh, it's Monday. And I thought, you know, if you live to be 70 and you hate all your Mondays, that's 10 years of your life you're throwing away. So I started a thing called the Monday chant. And every Monday we do, today is Monday and I'm glad because every Monday I'm no longer sad. I've learned if I live to be old or fossilized, I'll have more joy if my Mondays are energized. And it was really dorky and nerdy and, and kind of foolish, but the kids got into it and we did it every Monday. And, but the idea was, Hey, I'm not going to throw my life away being miserable on Mondays. And I wanted to get the idea out to teachers too. You don't have to get up in the morning and go, Oh no, it's Monday. 
if you have some of the skills to make your teaching a pleasure. Fossilized, Sally. Fossilized. Fossilized, yeah. <laughs> if I live to be. So uh, one Monday, I forgot to do it. One of the girl raised her hand. She said, are we going to do that dorky Monday song? And so <laughs> the kids the kids got into it, too. We also had a Friday routine, which was kind of fun, too. But that was a little different. So when they push your button, don't let it ring your bell. is geared toward parents and bullying. And, and to students and bullying. And that's the same thing as words will never hurt me and um, no thanks, I just had a banana. The idea is when someone says something nasty to you, they want to they wanna fire you up. They want to ring your bell. Mm-hmm. So the whole, the whole idea is how do you respond to that without uh, letting it ring your bell? So again, that's the out crazy, the crazies, the negative responses, tell me more, mm-hmm. uh, I messages that, that that's just the same same notion. One's a video and one's an audio, but it's all the same mm-hmm. kind of information on how to diffuse the power of bullies by, first of all, thinking about it by understanding that if someone's saying something nasty to you, it's really coming from a place of pain in them. Right. Um, and, you know, we know that, but we forget it. You know, people say something nasty to us and we let it hurt us. Well, we got to remember, use a mirror and reflect it back to the other person. Hey, something isn't going on well with them right now. And once we do that, then it's easy to respond with something that's um, witty or clever or neutral, like, well, thanks for telling me, or I'll remember that, or bark, or, you know, whatever. So that's that's the whole idea of don't let it push your bell. Don't let it ring your bell. All right. Okay. Well. How important is the role of a parent when it comes to education? Well, it's huge, but I think how we define it is really important. Um, Mm. You know, for me, what my parents did was they modeled a love of learning and a tremendous work ethic, and then they let my education be my business. They didn't harass me. They didn't ask me about homework. Um, And it was was my deal. And I remember my dad saying, you know, honey, I'm going to love you whether you go to college or, or make a million dollars or whether you're a happy waitress or whether you clean houses, you just have to decide what fits for you. Mm. But what I see today is that schools in a lot of cases have pushed parents to be over-involved with their kids. And what mm. I've discovered is a lot of times that creates resistance in the child. So it, it's a delicate balance in how adults should be involved. I think they need to be interested, but non-judgmental and make, uh, let kids solve their own problems. Um, that's how we get strong in life is by solve, resolving our own issues. Now, of course, there are times when parents need to get involved if life and limb is in danger and, and that kind of thing, or if there's a really serious problem, of course, they need to get involved. But uh, let kids solve their own problems. Let them, let them learn on their own. What I found in parent-teacher conferences year after year was the parents of the straight-A students would say, and you know, we never say anything to her about her homework. She just comes home and does it. And the kids who were failing would say, the parents would say, you know, I sit him down every night and make him do his homework. And then he doesn't turn it in. And what I discovered is that, you know, these kids, if they're being pushed, uh, they would rather retain their dignity than to make their parents happy. So they'll deliberately not do things to get even with their parents pushing them. Does this make sense what I'm saying to you? Are you with me? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It makes, makes plenty of sense. 
Yeah. So I think the schools have kind of, oh, there are even some schools who have a report card grade for parents on their report card of how involved the parent is. And I see that as really a mistake. I think parents need to be involved by being interested, by going to their activities, by supporting their kids' interests, but stay out of solving their problems and nagging them. Let that be, let that be the kids' deal. See, the great thing about schools is that all the consequences are built in. If you don't learn your seventh grade curriculum, even if you're not held back, you're not gonna do so well in eighth grade. But also we have things like summer school, we have things like GEDs, if you don't graduate, there's consequences for things. Let the consequences be the teacher. You as a parent model a love of learning, reading, a great work ethic, and then stay out of it. Show interest in your kid, but stay out of their homework. That's, mm. that's my advice. Well, I think uh, being the educator that you are, I think people need to take you up on said advice. And speaking of taking you up on said advice, your vehicle, Fear Free Ed. How did you come up with it? Why did you create it? And what is the overall mission of it? Oh, wow. Well, that's just a great question. <clears throat> well, when I started teaching, I was a heavy drinker. And, uh, and, and I mentioned I was getting into power struggles with students and I didn't have the skills to handle the classroom. So I went to a counselor and uh, I, I talked to her. And in fact, the year that I was teacher of the year, <laughs> I went to my favorite bar and uh, I told everybody, hey, turn on the TV. I'm the Colorado teacher of the year. And the bartender turned to me and he said, but wow, you drink so much. I didn't even know you had a job. <laughs> well, um, so I went to this counselor and I said, you know, uh, I've, I've got these problems. She said, well, you've really only got one problem. It's kind of a biggie, but it's just one. I said, well, what is it? She said, well, you have the fear of being inadequate and being rejected. And what I started to realize was that most of life's problems boil down to the fear of either being inadequate or the fear of being rejected. And uh, we can look at people that are victims, that get angry, that, are, that, that blame, that always have to be in control, that won't take risks. Most of those things go back to that fear of being inadequate or being rejected. And so what I started to realize is that kids who are underachieving in the classroom, kids who are mean to other kids, you can always take it, take it back to that fear. So I wanted to design a classroom in which kids were not afraid. And that's, that's what I share with parents and educators all throughout the country, how to create a home environment or a classroom where kids are not afraid to be inadequate, not afraid to be rejected. So that's how that all happened. Educator, public speaker, multilinguist, and a person who is an educator but does not like to write, Sally Ogden joins me on Revelations. And now it is time in the program to go plug tuning. And this is where we allow the guest to promote anything to his or her heart's desire. Of course, it's a she in this case. And so, Sally, I will now cede the floor to you, whatever it is in your heart. Go ahead and plug away 
the floor is yours. Wow, what a nice opportunity. Well, I would love to plug my book, which is Words Will Never Hurt Me, and it's available on Amazon. Um, click If you click on the Kindle icon, it will take you to the paperback version. Um, don't let them say it's not available because it is. Uh, and then I am available to speak to schools and parents. Um, and in order to set that up, you might check my website, fearfreeed.com. I would love to come and I will bring free books and free materials. I just want to be back out making a difference and helping people. Again, it's fearfree, F-E-A-R-F-R-E-E, ed, ed.com. So there's three E's in a row. So I'd love to come and talk to parent groups or, or educators. And I thank you so much for letting me plug, shamelessly promote my stuff. Thank you. Oh, that is not a problem. Not a problem at all. Public speaker, multilinguist, career educator, wonderful human being. Sally Ogden, join me on Revelations. Thank you so much. Thank you this. so much. It was truly my pleasure. He or she is invested in passing on knowledge to other people. When those people are children, it takes on a meaning all its own. Tackling something that is as traditional as a person's rite of passage is also something to be commended. Bullying is something we've all witnessed. No matter when, we've all been bullied at some point in our lives. Having the tools to combat them, and it doesn't involve fighting, is surely a blessing. The Bible says, drive out a scoffer and strife will go out and quarreling and abuse will cease. When an educator connects with his or her students, that's where the magic begins. Having him or her connect with something that plagues many people in their youth makes the magic memorable. For this educator, speaking to a situation until it's calm is a gift that will surely keep on giving. Many thanks to Sally Ogden for giving us her perspective on life. And why don't you join us every Tuesday on YouTube and every Friday on the BS3 Network, where you will see a different person being interviewed by yours truly each week. For changing the world one conversation at a time. I'm Cole Johnson, and this has been Revelations. Thank you for tuning into Revelations. To download this episode, go to ACAST and type Revelations. For apparel, go to Spring and type Revelations. Music by Lakey Inspired. <laughs> <laughs>